Questions? Hopefully also answers. Okay, so if, is this internal or external? Say I go to the minion in the morning, right? And I'm saying to myself, I want to have the blessing to be able to uh, to be able to give charity because I'm going to the minion this morning. I'm going to have a better day at work. Everything I do from the minion is going to transpire in my work day today, and then I know I'll be able to give charity. <coughs> and then when I give charity, I'm giving charity because of the fact. If I give charity, I know I'll be able to give more charity. And I want to keep on doing that. Now, is that internal or is that external? Let me, let me start with a little introduction. When Hasidus talks about a lower level and a higher level, do not make the mistake of thinking that the lower level is blah. The lower level that we discussed here is a topic. So, I'm going to answer you what you asked me, but I just need to be very clear. Don't go home thinking of the lower level of Amuna, man's search for purpose. Huh. Nothing with nothing. <laughs> That's very high. So high that the fifth Lubavitcher ever writes that the only reason why we work on understanding the higher level of unity is so that we should be empowered to at least live up to the lower level of unity. Kind of like shoot for the stars, right? So uh, just let's get something straight. If I tell you that that's external, don't walk out of here feeling like a second degrade, uh, you know, uh, okay? No, I don't mean you. I mean the concept. May it be the will of God that we should live with the lower level of Amuna. And that is the purpose of life. But to be able to hold on to the lower level of Amuna, every once in a while on a Tuesday night at 10.18, we have to uh, study Chesidus and talk about the higher level. Do not go home and try the higher level, okay? Every once in a while, when you feel that, that you're working it, you're working it, and your soul is really there, then, just for the divine sake of it, do something really selfless. But with that being the case, if you're going to davening for the purpose of, that already is external. I'm going to share with you something way out there. I had someone who was a self-proclaimed atheist sitting at my Shabbos table once. <laughs> you know the definition of a Jewish atheist? I swear to God, I'm an atheist. <laughs> but let's talk about what an atheist is. I shared with the person the following concept. That an atheist is the ultimate testimony that God exists. Think of everything I said tonight in this class, you'll understand what I'm saying. Because who else but a piece of God can believe that it comes from itself? Any logical being knows that if I'm here, I must have come from somewhere. The existence of a child told, tells me that there was parents. The existence of a painting tells me that there was an artist. And yet the atheist says the existence of the creator, of creation, does not prove that there was a creator. How did that happen? You'll never find an angel who's an atheist. Why? Because the angel comes from light. And light has a source. So because its source has a source, it cannot fathom the thought of 
something not having a source. We are creatures of darkness, not light. And therefore, in the ultimate existence of God, it says, and he sits in darkness. Darkness has no source. It's the essence. It has no revelation, no description, no form. It is, and even that is too much spoken. Therefore, only a creature of darkness, which comes from the essence, can fathom the concept that I came from myself. Rationale could not help that. Rationale is light. Rationale can, just can't support that thought. Everything is extrapolation. If this is here, then that must have been here. That was here, that must have been here. And yet, a walking, talking, physical human being says, no, no, no God. Where'd you come from? The Big Bang. Where'd the Big Bang from? A bang. Obviously, I'm, I'm being very self-solved. But... So understand that this definition of selflessness is something which doesn't fit into a system of light and rationale. To daven, not because you need to daven, but davening needs you to daven. It's something where if you learned on a yeshiva, they're going to put you in a straitjacket. But yet understand the beauty of that existence. I'll tell you a story. Again, this is a story which is a Balshemtov story. There was a woman that kept on asking the Balshemtov to a blessing for a child. She had no children. She was barren. And then finally, after years and years of asking, the Balshemtov promised her a child, blessed her a child. Now the Talmud says that a, a tzaddik, a righteous person, decrees and God has to fulfill. So all of a sudden in heaven, they notified him, you're going to be punished for what you did. Because according to the spiritual cosmos, she wasn't supposed to have a, a child, God forbid. But now that you promised her a child, and you knew, you the Balshemtov knew she wasn't supposed to have a child. And you promised her a child. Now we have no choice to give her a child. So you twisted her arm to do something that we didn't want to do. You should know you lost your entire world to come. And the Bashemta started dancing. It's a famous story told. And they asked Bashemta, why are you dancing? What word didn't you understand? And he said that even when I served God, not because of the world to come, but the mere fact that I knew that with this mitzvah, I'm getting a portion in the world to come, I can't say that I really did this just for God. But now that you took away my world to come, that means every mitzvah I'm doing, I know, I physically know, I spiritually know, I emotionally know, I intellectually know, that there's no reason to do this other than to serve God. That's why I'm dancing. Thank you for taking away from me the human imperfection of always doing something for a purpose. That's a Bashemta story, right? So I'll tell you another story with an Israeli so I'm sorry? Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Now here's another story which isn't from the Bashemtov. It was from a secular Jew in the Israeli army. The story is told by Rabtuvi Bolton, any of you who know him in the Krachabad. And he, in 1984, with the Lebanon, 83, 84 was, I remember when he was there, but he was there, the Chabadniks were on base. They, they were doing milling, they were called in. And what they did was that a Chabadnik that was on base, they also used them 
to wake up before any mission went out, they would call them, go put on film with the guys, because it gave the soldiers morale and strength and hope, and they needed that when they went out to the missions. So one morning he gets woken up, told they're on the jeeps already, go now. Immediately he wakes up, gets ready, runs there with his parents, fill in, he goes over to the first guy sitting there, and obviously they're nervous, they're going into Lebanon. He asked the first soldier sitting over there, Slichar, that's something you have to fit in. The guy looks at him and says, if you don't get away from me, I'm going to rip you into two pieces. Now, if you know the size of Bolton, <laughs> the guy, Israeli, probably could have ripped him into two pieces. So he like, okay, I think that was no. <laughs> Bye. He walks over to the next guy, and he asks the next soldier, Chayal, that's something you have And the soldier answers him like this, the Jewish answer, right? You answer a question with a question. And if I put on tefillin, will God bring me back alive? I love the story, by the way. I've said it in the high holidays more than once. And Rabbi Bolton, being a Chabadnik, answered the soldier, God's going to bring you back alive because you're a Jew. And you're an Israeli. And you're wearing a green uniform. And you're here to protect the Jewish people. He's bringing you back alive. Now that you know that, would you put on tefillin for him? He put on film. All of a sudden, the other soldier who told me before, I'm going to rip you to pieces, goes over to him like this. Come here. I guess, all right, what now? Pulls out his arm and says, put on film. So, you know, as they say in Hebrew, Masha Patuach Patuach. First, he immediately put on film with him. Then he asked him, may I ask you, a second ago, you, you threatened me and you obviously weren't joking to disconnect my head from my neck. And all of a sudden, now you ask me to put on film. Why? I said, I heard what you told that soldier. A religion where I put on tefillin for God to bring me back alive, I have no patience for. But a religion where God's bringing you back alive because you're you. And now, would you put on film for that God? I can live with that. To me, that Jew had a spark of Alshantov. When you talk about the internal emunah, when you talk about the internal aspiration, when you talk about the divine paradigm, the Jew is frustrated that he's stuck in this egocentric human paradigm where everything needs to have a meaning. As if nothing unto itself is a true identity. Everything is justified by something else. And I, the human being, am justified by what I do. In halacha, in halacha, you will find this in the problems that Jewish law has with a living will. Because the doctors, in their infinite compassion and insurance, they will ask you, why are you keeping your father alive? You're torturing him. It's for selfish purposes. It's because you're not ready to leave go. And you justify all the pain that your father is going through because you're not ready to leave go yet. All of a sudden, the angel of death became a shiach and the angel of life became selfish. But it's okay. And by the way, I want to clearly say, there is room in halacha at certain scenarios. I read an amazing whole, the whole answers from big rabbonim, bringing proofs of Rabbi Kiva and, and the other stories. Not so simple. But in the normal picture, the blanket statement is that you don't sign no living will. Now I ask you, why? 
So I've heard rabbis tell me, you know how many stories that even though the person was in a coma and knew nothing what happened, but siblings that were fighting all of a sudden reunited and him not being quote-unquote alive on a machine, how much he did for his family, God bless them. But tonight, can you understand that there's a deeper answer? Humans aren't animals. We don't need to justify our living with our accomplishments. Human life is selflessly valuable. A soul in a body, if it does absolutely nothing and is in a coma, God forbid, doesn't need a purpose. Because remember, in the higher paradigm, in the divine paradigm, man does not search for meaning. Meaning searches for man. And yet I'm talking to rabbis who are stuck trying to justify that you never know. What will this person accomplish while he's there on the machine? And I'm saying that in, well, don't get me wrong, like I told you before, the lower level of Amuna, Halavai, Ochala. That we should live up to that. But now that we can appreciate for a moment on a Tuesday night in a mystical class when we can experience that there is a higher dimension. Shame that we have to justify not pulling the plug because maybe he will accomplish something. Human life is divinity. Divinity needs no purpose. Purpose needs divinity. I'm just trying to take this from so many different angles so that we can appreciate as human beings stuck in the egocentric world of existence to be able to appreciate that there is a divine drop in us which doesn't need any of this. Divine and need doesn't work in the same sentence unless the need in the sentence of divine is that something needs the divine but never that the divine needs anything. And that is a, such a different paradigm of Amuna. And if you're going to ask me if it's external or internal, my answer to you is, if you asked, it's external. I don't know what you're asking, but if you asked, it's external. Because internal, ask no questions. <laughs> What's that famous saying? You know, when you go into the real famous places and you ask how much it's cost, if you had to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to share with you, if you had to ask, hire a Muna, it's not. Is the concept coming across? Ah, Arya. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll give you two pra practical examples. Number one, an amazing giant of a teacher, God bless him, Rabbi El Khan, shared with us once that as a single boy, he was already a mashpia teaching in yeshiva. And when he went into a private audience with the Rebbe, bless him memory, the Rebbe asked him what he was learning. And then the Rebbe told him, I want you to learn something that you will not give a class on. Now let me tell you, God has chosen that one of my primary works in my work of shlichus is to give classes and lectures. 
you have no idea how challenging that is for a person who is a teacher because you open up the book saying okay this I'm not going to give a lecture on this I'm learning for myself my god this is an amazing mimer do you know what kind of class I can give out of this no don't go there but what do you mean who am I to hold back all these amazing Jews that come Tuesday night from hearing this mimer doesn't make a difference this mimer you didn't learn to teach then why did you learn it as a so every once in a while, learn something that you commit you will never use in counseling. <laughs> so you're saying that the higher paradigm doesn't exist. <laughs> Here's another thing. Here's another thing. The Talmud is so searching for one true selfless act of kindness until it finally comes up with going to a funeral because when you're going to a funeral you know that that guy can't pay you back anything unfortunately today that's not either true because you're going to a funeral because this guy's uncle is a rich man and he can give you a job and blah, blah, blah. okay whatever but in the town was looking for some paradigm of selflessness in the act of kindness and the only thing you can come up with is when you do an act of kindness to a person who's dead because if he's alive it's impossible that in back of your mind you're not thinking somewhere that you never know when I'm gonna need him I'm gonna share with you that today thanks to technology or whatever it may be or to quote the famous teaching of our sages we are midgets on the shoulders of giants so even what the giant couldn't do, we could do. Not because we can't by ourselves, we're midgets, but the giant put us on its shoulders. So we have horizons that it never saw. We live in such a crazy world. May it be post 60s or whatever you wanna call it. We somewhere within us are sick and tired of always having to have a purpose our greatest drive in a vacation is to be able to do something with no purpose there are people that take it to a point of sickness with what they do just to drop the, pro the process of responsibility and liberty and leadership and being in control just let me go crazy just let me be stupid for 10 minutes. You ask me for an example, that's the example. Use that. Use that. Just do something good out there. Just do something good out there. Really selfless. You probably got these emails, right? Of this guy who's driving through the, uh, the toll, and the guy says, no, the guy in front of you paid for you. What, what are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> Guys, don't do it because she has blonde hair. But, in the bigger picture, just do something like that. And because the generations before us 
weren't in the deepest, darkest levels of exile, there was still light. And light is rationale. And rationale won't allow for that to happen. You and I were blessed to be in the deepest, darkest moments of exile with zero light. We can do what they couldn't do. Every once in a while, just do something ridiculous. Something ridiculously good. Okay? Questions? Okay.